Hebrews 10 and verse 38. We're in a little series. It is one message follows another message, adding to the theme or the message. The message is living by faith. And we get that from verse 38 of Hebrews 10, where it says, Now the just shall live by faith. And then it adds this to it in case you wonder how fear and trembling comes into this walk. But he said, if any man draw back, draw back from what? From faith. Wouldn't you agree with me? The just, those that are made right with God, justified, they live by faith. You can't see God. You don't hear his voice. At least I never have heard an audible voice. I don't physically relate to him. I cannot even prove that there's a God. I have to believe. I cannot prove this book is true. I have to believe it's true. I am counting on this for my life and eternal life. In walking away from things, he said that we must walk away from or crucify the flesh too and live as though what he says is true. This is the way of life. And the Bible says those that are right with God will live this way. The just shall live by faith. Faith is taking God at his word. It's acting like what God said is true. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this is what faith is. And he said, because a lot of people won't. It's just not sensible. It just doesn't seem to fit in with today's ways to live like something that the Bible says is true, even though there's no evidence of its truth. To act like something is real when nobody can see it or anything and to live like that, you're asking a whole lot of people who can't do that. That's not reasonable. And so they won't do it. They're good people. They go to church and all of that. But the Bible says the just shall live by faith. And if any man draws back, he said, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. That's what God said. So it's a narrow way. It's a difficult walk. It's not easy. Not many will. But... We're here to teach because there's nobody keeping anybody in this room tonight from walking by faith. You live by choices. You know that. What you are right now is what you've chosen to be. Nobody made you the way you are. You chose to be that way. And the best choice you'll ever make in this life is to choose what God said and live like it's true. That's how we live. The just shall live by faith. This chapter began by describing faith as the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. We live like what we don't see is real. We live like it's real. We can't feel it. We can't see it. We can't taste it, touch it, or smell it, or hear it. Our five senses don't relate to this, but we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. So we live like what we hear from the word, not what the preacher said. You don't believe what the preacher said because he said it. You got a Bible, find out for yourself. Live like it's true. Live. Order your steps. Decide every day that what you do will be in harmony with what God said. This is what you're called to do as a Christian. If you've been made right with, with God, this is what he wants you to do. Now, we started this whole thing out by saying that faith gets its strength well, from one verse, Numbers twenty three nineteen, where it says, like this, this is where my faith is based. God is not a man that he should lie. That's the author of this book. Nor is he the son of man that he should repent. We're not talking about mortals 
who are not always right and can't always keep the word. God isn't like that. Because you see, if God said it, he'll do it. And if he spoke it, he'll make it good. So I'm called to approach God who has given me a divine and heavenly word that says, if I have said it, that's what you can count on me to do. If I spoke it, that's what I'll do. And so all God is asking me or you to do in living by faith is to take him at his word and live like it's true. You can't do any more than that. And in the same chapter, Hebrews 11 and verse 6, it says that if we can't live like that, we can't please God. Now, for those who would say, that kind of scares me, it puts the fear of God in me too. This is not a casual word. It's not a Sunday school message. That is, it's not a lighthearted thing you can take or leave. It's not something that is an option. If you know you're Christian, you ought to do that. But if you don't, you know, you're all right. No, he says, unless you walk by faith, live by faith, you can't please God. And the reason some of us choose to live the way we do is because if he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. And not only did he say, I am the Lord, I change not. This word is eternal. But he'll never change his mind or repent of what he said. If he said it now, he said it forever. For his word is forever settled in heaven. And heaven and earth may pass away, but the Bible says the word of the Lord shall abide or endure forever. So what we're given tonight, these are the words of God about his word. He said, this is what I say to you. I'm going to give all of you a chance in this life. We call it grace. I'm going to give all of you a chance to make a good decision. I'm going to reveal to you what I have to say and give you an opportunity to make that choice. I won't make it for you. You make it on your own. If you don't want to make it, you don't have to. But in the end, you have no other choices. You either, it's either or. It's God or. There's no other choice. There's no middle ground. And so we call it the fear of God. The awe of God, the fact that the likes of us were called out of a dark place, brought to his marvelous light, and at least for a moment our eyes are open to see a truth that can only be seen as he opens your eyes. And he says, this is your life. Live this way. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's life. If you want to live, you live according to this. Now, that's where we start, and that's what we said. And we said that faith comes by hearing the word. Romans, remember, 10, 9, and 19. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So then that faith is a choice. Everybody lives like this. Everybody has the same authority to do this. We live by choice. I choose or I choose not, but I still choose. I choose to agree with God or I choose to question God. I choose to take the Bible true or I choose to question the truth of the Bible. My choice. I can, and if I don't want to, he won't make me do it. But I live by choices. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. It's not good intentions. It's not your emotions. It's what the Bible says. You can count on God to do what he said if he said it in the word. That's the way it's supposed to be. Second thing we mentioned last week was faith will always confess itself. It'll always say something. 
You remember Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, we having the same spirit of faith as it is written, we believed and therefore said, he said, they heard and then they spoke. He said, well, we also believe and therefore speak. One of the principles of faith is, it's a must, is that if God said it and you believe it, you'll say it. Because out of the abundance of the heart, if you hide this word in your heart, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. Everybody talks faith. Either faith in problems, either faith in negative things, faith in doubts and what you can't do, or faith in what's... The news says, or you have faith in what God said, but everybody will locate themselves by what they say. We just learned to talk about things that God didn't give us to talk about. I thought I'd die. This is killing me. My child's a brat. Can't do nothing with him or her. Scared me to death. Oh, I'm afraid of that. Oh, I'll get the flu this year. You know, if it's going around, I get it every year without regard. Is that what God said you should believe? Because that's what people believe. They, I'll get it. You can be sure. They believe that. That's where their faith is. They wrap their faith around that and say, if anybody's going to get it, I will. If anybody has trouble in the snow, I do. And they say that. Then you come to the Lord, and God says, now that's not what he taught you to say. Now, we dismiss bad confessions because, oh, come on, it's, it's, you just know it's nothing. But somebody's listening to your conversation. Did you know that you can be snared by the words of your mouth? That the person you're wrestling with is not flesh and blood, it's a spirit. Somebody's listening to your conversation, waiting for an opportunity for you to give place to them. Do you believe that you can give place to the devil? The Bible says you can. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then you'll back off. You won't do that as best you know how. Because you see, what you say is who you are. But if you believe something, you will say it. Let me show you something we didn't look at last week. Go to the book of Genesis in the beginning, chapter 22. This is when Abraham takes his son Isaac to sacrifice him. God said, take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, to a place whereof I will show you and offer him there as a sacrifice. That's Genesis chapter 22. And he said that in verse Two. Verse 3, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and said, Lord, this doesn't make sense. Why would you ask me to take my son, whom you just told me that through my son, a nation will come? It started with me. I'm just one. I have him, and you told me that through him, this nation shall come forth. Now, how can a nation come forth if I kill him? I mean, if I take this boy out there and build an altar and set him on the altar and then sacrifice him a living sacrifice to God, how can anything come forth from a dead man? Now, that's reason and logic, and it's sensible, and it's reasonable in our society. There's not many people today that would dare obey God and take your son out there, but God didn't choose just anybody. He chose Abraham. And with regard to what God said about taking his son, the child of promise, and sacrificing him, let's read it. Verse 3, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went to the place of which God had told him, which today they say 
is in Jerusalem under that dome of the rock, the Mosque of Omar, they, they call it. Under that dome, there's nothing in that room, they say, but this rock. And it was this particular rock, it is believed to be the rock of Mount Moriah, they call it, where, the, where Isaac was going to be offered by Abraham. And he said here, he went to that place, verse 4, and on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, now listen to this confession, Abide ye here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and what do he say? Now, go all the way back to the other end of your Bible, to Hebrews 11. Now, concerning Abraham and what he did here, verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, Isaac of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now here was where Abraham's faith was, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, and from thence also he received him in like figure. Would you agree with me that when Abraham took that boy out there, his heart was not broken because of what he was about to do? But he believed that if I do slay this boy, God will have to bring him back to life because God cannot lie. And he said, this boy will continue the seed. Now, he can't if he's dead. So if I obey God and I put the knife to him, then God will have to bring him back to life. That's faith. That's like saying, I don't care what's, where we're going or what he's asked me to do. I'm going to respond to him because I believe what he said. I'm going to act like what he said is true, and I'm going to take my knife, and I'm going to raise it up. And if I do kill this boy, God, who cannot lie, will have to raise him from the dead and bring him back to life because he's the one that's going to continue the seed. How many people would do that? Because Abraham said in Genesis 22, 5, he said, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and will return again unto you. Well, how are you going to do that if he dies? Are you going to drag him back, carry him back, put him over your shoulder and bring him back dead or what? No. The lad and I will come back to you. That was Abraham's confession. God put that in the Bible for us tonight to read it and to see what God calls faith. Because this faith was seen not only in his actions with sacrifice, but also with his confession. He said, I and the boy will go and worship, and I and the boy will come back again. See, you can really tell what is in a person's heart by what they say. You really can. The things you talk about usually are the result of who you listen to. If you listen to a lot of dirty and ugly talk, you'll talk about dirty and ugly things. If you listen to trashy music, which today has gotten not only violent but vulgar, you'll talk about both. Because that's what inspires you. If you listen to negative political shows where they're always berating somebody, you yourself will begin to berate people. You'll become negative yourself. Because whatever is feeding you, whatever your heart is open to, that's what's going to come out of your mouth because that's who's going to form in your heart what you believe. That's why the Bible says, take heed what you hear. Doesn't it say that? Take heed how you hear as well as take heed what you hear. Because if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. And so what you're going to get is darkness. 
It was Paul that wrote in Philippians chapter 4, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are, whatever, if it's good and gentle and kind and true and honest, he said, think on these things. Put these things in your heart. In this day of being bad and tough and mean and making people scared and whatever else kids' minds do to them to make them want to be important and feared, God asks us to be gentle and kind and meek and turn the other cheek. Say, well, I would be whipped all over the schoolyard if I lived like that. No, you wouldn't. No, God graces people who live by his word. Bring something fearful upon others who want to hurt you or harm you. He did say, you know, a, a thousand may fall by your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it won't come near you. It just won't happen to you. Lady said on the news today in reference to the killings, the terrible killings that happened last Friday, that, you know, this could happen to anybody. I'm thinking, well, it just depends on what that anybody believes. Either God meant what he said when he said no evil shall befall you, or he didn't. Now, if he meant that, and I believe that, then that's the way it's going to be. Now, you can imagine how arrogant that has to sound. And the people who aren't used to the sound of these words, it just be so arrogant. Well, who do you think he is? Well, I'm just telling you whatever the Bible said, that's what we got to do. Now, to, thirdly, tonight, if you have Bible faith, it'll always be seen in what you do. We'll know what you believe by what you say, and we'll also know what you believe by what you do. The choices you make and the things that you do. Would you turn to James? You're close to it if you're in Hebrews. One book to the right, James chapter 2. Now concerning faith, he said beginning in verse 14, what does it profit? What advantage is there, my brethren, though a man say he has faith, but he have not works? And the question is, do you think that kind of faith can save him? He says one thing, but what he does is not according to what he said. Something's wrong, isn't it? Sound like church on Sunday morning. Sound like the Christians. They talk a good game. People, you ever heard that? Oh, they talk a good game, but boy, you can't trust them. They won't pay their bills and they beat their kids. You know, all of that. Well, it's not supposed to be like that. I agree with them. I've heard that all my life growing up. But that's not what we're supposed to believe. We're supposed to believe in something on a higher level than everybody else has and anybody else has heard. We're not better than anybody. We're just given a better way to live. You got to agree with that. God has given us a way to live that very few will ever choose to live that way. Many will sit and assemble in a church and listen to that way and acknowledge that that's true. Amen. That is true. And assume by agreeing with what was said, they have faith. But James says, what good is it for you to say you have faith? To go to church and read your Bible and listen to what you've heard and say, amen to that, brother. Amen. And yet the choices you make are not in harmony with what you said amen to. Y'all know what I'm saying? See, this is one of the major problems in what we call the faith life. We've learned to talk about it. 
We hear it somewhat, but we've learned more to talk about it. And we have convinced ourselves that if we can talk about it and if we can quote the Bible, then we have faith. And yet, while you should have faith, and that's the way it begins, it doesn't always turn out to be true. As he said, what good is it in verse 14, my brethren, if you say you have faith and you have not works? Verse 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And verse 20, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now, you've seen three times here about works. One translation says corresponding actions. Faith without corresponding actions. Faith without things that identify faith is a waste. It's just vain. You're nothing. It's like a man who says to his wife, I love you. Well, he should. He said that on Sunday morning because the preacher told him to go turn to his wife and tell her he loves her. So I love you. But he treats her as though he doesn't. He has no regard for her feelings, not interested in what she wants. She's just somebody in his life, and she's not a companion. But he may say the right things and tell other people, I married a good woman, she's a good woman, and all that. Oh, boy, yes, sir, yes, sir. But the way he treats her is not the way the Bible said. Now, he qualifies here. His faith is dead. He's not genuine. He's not sincere. He's not living by faith, because he says the right thing, but what he does is not in accordance with what he said. By their works, they are betraying God who called them. Look at verse 23. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And he goes to Abraham, offering up his son. Two different books. Seest thou, Shelbyville Christian Assembly, and you who are visitors, those who are live streaming tonight, do you see... We're asked in verse 22 how that faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect or literally by works faith reached its goal, came to its completion. Perfect is what the word perfect means. That unless the faith you say you have has actions that lead to the fulfillment of that faith, it's not really faith at all. But we've gotten by with that for so many years. We've gotten by with it. We haven't been alarmed by the fact that what God is saying we're not tuned into. But, you know, we're looking around. We're all in the same boat. We're all about even here, so it's no big deal. And then the preacher talks about it, and everybody gets real quiet because, well, what's he harping on today? Well, hopefully the same thing harped on 30 years ago. Somebody said to me the other day, I was up in Indiana last week, a brother who I knew 40 years ago. I hadn't seen him in about that long. He came up. His name was Bob. And he came up and he said, boy, it's good to see you again. He said, you haven't changed a bit, have you? That's what you preached many years ago. I said, I hope it's still the same. Never had a reason to change the message. Society has never given me any reason to be like that. I even still wear a tie. I was the only one in church that had a tie on. If somebody said, why you wear a tie? Because I got a closet full of them. That's why. <laughs> I like ties. I don't mind that. But I'm just saying that the times change. People tell me that. A brother asked me one time. He said, so what are you preaching these days? And I said the same thing I did 40 years ago. 
And he said, you know, times have changed. <laughs> what I didn't say what I wanted to say. I'm trying to be very diplomatic. I'm trying to be nice. I've already been said to be ugly, but I was trying to be nice. And I think, has God changed? He said, you know, the cloud has moved. Of course, I'm thinking, knowing, understanding that story about the cloud, they went in a circle in the desert. You know, they had to. They had to keep moving. I mean, you take a million people, it's a good thing they do move. You know, God believes in hygiene. They had to move. They had to keep going. They didn't stay in one spot for 40 years. I didn't tell him. I said, well, you know, when they were in the desert, they were going in a circle. Where are you going? But I just simply said, I, this, the things I learned 40 years ago have gotten me where I am. This is what's brought me and my wife to where we are. I can't speak for anybody else because when my kids get to a certain age, they're on their own. It's between them and God. I can't do it for them. I'll just tell you what happens. I'll tell you how it works. I'll confess to you what God does. And I'll tell you how it worked for me. That doesn't mean that you can do what I said and it works. You got to have your own faith based on what's in your heart and you got to live it because you believe it yourself. Look at verse 26, the last verse. For as a body without the spirit is dead or your body without breath, spirit and breath is the same word, for your body without breathing is dead. Well, in the same way, faith without works is dead also. Simply, simply this. If you believe what the Bible says, then you act like it's true. How about that? Do you believe you are saved? Those of you that know you are. Do you believe you have been born again, that you are a new creature in Christ in the same old ragtag looking body? Then how will we know it? How do we know if you or you or you have been born again? How can we know? We see what you do, how you live, the choices you make, how you talk, how you act, how you drive, how you treat people, how, you've, how you handle things in your life. Your desires and urges and all of that, is God in control? If you're born again, he becomes master of your life. You submit to him because you want to. You live though he's true, and you live as though he hears every conversation, that everything you do, he's watching you. You act like you were serious and sincere when you asked God to save you. When you got up off of your knees and you faced the world, you've got a requirement, a mandate now, to live a life that is in harmony with what you said. Amen? And if you can't live that way, then what's the message that people read in your life? Because your life is like an epistle. When I look at you, what do I read? Here's a guy who's a nice guy. She's a nice girl. I'm sure they mean well. But man, they're up and they're down. They can't put two together. and they struggle. What's the problem? Well, it, it, it's a problem that almost all of us face. I know that nobody is perfect and always does right. Because we know this, if any man sin, God is faithful and just to. So we do know that there's times that we struggle. A righteous man may fall seven times, the Bible said, but God will pick him up. But your heart is, I want to be a living testimony. Or as Romans 12 one says, I want to offer myself on, a, on an altar without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. 
That's the way I want to live. I'm tempted to live the way I used to live, but why do I change? What compels me to put down this, crucify that, not go there, say that? Or what compels me? It's the Lord. And there's something about the Holy Spirit. It's called conviction. You ever heard of conviction? A conviction is a God-ordered belief, something they cannot change. No compromise here. And you had a conviction that you were lost. God graciously saved you, breathed the breath of life in you. You're a new creature in, in Christ. You're going to wrestle the rest of your life. But, man, you got your head on right now, and you got to live this life. And why did a lot of people hesitate growing up in churches anywhere? I was in a Christian church. You know what kept me in my seat a long time before I ever actually made the move? I had seen a lot of people go up there, up front, church, come up front, crying and ask God to forgive them and all of that and boo-hooed around. And, and I'm sure there was a moment of sincerity there. But as we all do what we do, we begin to watch. Hmm. Let's see what this girl, this boy's got, this man or this woman. Let's see just how sincere they are. I was just wondering how great their intentions were. I wonder if they'll live a life. Then one day they fall aside. I did that. When I was in college, I had a, a time with an evangelist came to school my freshman year. And as far as I could tell, I was right on target there for a month. Got up every morning early, and I'm not one of them, but I did. And read my Bible and witnessed who I could. And dreaded the idea that school, college is just about over, and I'm going back to Indiana where I grew up and all my buddies are coming home from college. And you know what happens when all your buddies come home from college and you meet when you're 19, 20 years old, 18, 19, you come home and go to church. No, you know what you do? I knew what they were going to do. Man, I came home from college my freshman year. I mean, I'm 18 years old. Boy, I came home, and sure enough, I met all the guys, and something prompted me. I said, all right, tell them what happened. Tell them, give them your testimony. Because, listen, friends, I, this, I'm getting off the subject, but let me tell you something. If, if you ever get saved, if you get born again, tell it. Tell it. Just let her go. Get it out there where everybody knows. It'll keep you from getting out of bounds, and it'll make you aware of the fact that you've got a life to live, man. You wrote a big check with your mouth. Now you've got to live it. And so uh, I got home. We all got together. Hey, you know, and the next thing you know, it was over. I was like them, out there in the country somewhere under a bridge having a party. I walked away from it in a minute. But I never got away from it because I was scared all my life. I was going to die and go to hell because I messed up one in June 30th, 1968. God who is long-suffering, God who is tolerant, Softly and tenderly. You know that song? Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. And I remember, oh, he wouldn't want me. I'm too bad. Just as I am. This is a Sunday morning, June 30th song. Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And I thought, oh, can it be? Can it be? Talking about living by faith now. Hang on. And second verse, whose blood can cleanse each spot. And Bonnie took off down the aisle, and as I've said many times, she needed to. Man, she needed to go forward. 
whew. And she wasn't very far down the aisle, and I shifted my weight from one side to the other, and I was out in the aisle ahead and following her. I've been doing it ever since, just followed her right down the aisle, see. One day she was in the house walking around, and I walked around right behind her just every time she turned. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm practicing for old age. <laughs> but then I rebuked that and said, no, I'm not. But anyway, anyway, I told my Sunday school class the next Sunday morning, I said, I'm a Christian. I'm going to live the Christian life. If you want to know how a Christian lives, you watch me. I'm still fresh. And I didn't realize all the work that God had was going to do in my life for the next 30, 40 years. I didn't. I don't think any of it was easy. I didn't like any of it. I'm glad I can look back over 40 years, 44 years and say, you know, I've been at it for 44 years now. I wouldn't want to go back to any of those years and do it again. I'm just glad I got through all of that because it wasn't easy. Sometimes you were alone. A lot of people talk about you. They talk against you. They don't understand. How can you live like something is true that they can't see? How can you do that? How can you say something is true when you just can't see it? Somebody said, well, I don't know how you can say you're healed if you're coughing and congested and all that. How can you say you're healed if you're limping or down in the back or can't get up? or what? How can you say you're healed? And I've had to say in those situations, I'm not healed because I feel healed. I'm not healed because I sound healed. I'm healed because God says I am. And I'm believing that. If I could act better than I, can, than I am now, if I could do a little bit better so you wouldn't know it, I would. I'm doing the very best that I can because I don't impress God by saying he's not true because I don't feel like what he said is true. There's nothing spiritual about me saying, I am not what God says I am when he says I am. That's what we said last week. There's a confession of your body. There's a confession of God. You are, your body says, I am not. What do you say? Because whatever you say is what you're going to do. You're going to say, well, I prayed, but it didn't work. Well, I, act, I hoped it would, but it didn't work. That's not faith. That's doubt. Peter could have said, well, at least when I got out of the boat, I took a few steps on the water. Doesn't that count? What did Jesus say to him? Oh, thou that tooketh two steppest, riseth thou uppeth. You know, what he, you know what Jesus said to him when he got out of the boat? He said, oligopistis. That's the Greek word for, oh, ye of little faith. Why did you doubt? Peter says, before you get all over me, what about them guys still in the boat? Jesus didn't say this, but I would say he singled you out to be a leader of those people. He gave you the keys of the kingdom, didn't he? He spoke to you and said, feed my sheep. Before any of them, you failed more than all of them did. And yet he picks you to be the forerunner, the pioneer, the one who leads the way. Peter, you're going to be so famous, a Catholic going to make you pope. They're going to make you really important. But anyhow, lest we get down on that. A lot of people say they believe things, but they contradict it by what they, what they do. They, they say they believe and that they're going to trust God for this and that, and they're going to walk this way or walk that way because the Bible says so, but it gets hard. It, it, it isn't easy. How many of you know you have a foe? 
that there really is opposition to your life. God is for you. Who's against you? The devil. But what did Paul write in Romans? If God be for us, who can be against us? You got to act like what you believe is true. One time I was laying in bed. I, I believe in healing. I do. Like I said, I've been well now for 42 or three years. I mean, I haven't, haven't had a doctor's bill in that long, neither, neither of us, and been well. Not because I am, but because I believe. That's as simple as that. You can, any, they can, everybody, all my, all my criticizers, they could do this. I'm not special. I'm not any different than anybody else. I mean, I'm a call out of the miry clay with the same nasty worldly influence on me as on anybody else. When God spoke, I, I, he gave me a heart to listen, and I did. And others who didn't, that's their problem, but I wanted to know. Maybe it was the background in sports where you wanted to excel. You wouldn't take no for an answer, and you don't give up, and you don't quit, and you don't back off and get down. You do what you can do. You can't always do it what you ought to do, but you do the best you can. When I threw in on June 30th, I thought, I, this is going to be my life. And so you prove that you meant what you said by the way you live, the choices you make. If you say you believe something, then we, re we expect you, and so does God, to live like what you said is true. If you draw back from, from that, then the Bible says, God said, I have no, no pleasure in you. Look at Matthew 7. Turn to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, where he's talking about building two houses. Turn to Matthew 7. In verse 24, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard them? Let me ask you one more time, because I can't talk to folks out in the electronic world. I said, have you ever heard the word of God? Tell yourself, I have. Okay. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and what? See, hearing is part of the equation. It's the first component. It has two. Whoever hears and does. That's James 1.22. Be ye doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving your own self. But he says here, he says, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, he shall be likened unto. Then he gives a description of somebody who won't fail. Didn't he? There's two houses. They were, the houses were equal in value and construction and all the materials, I'm sure. And this is not about, you can make it about digging. And I've preached this sermon about digging, about digging down to the rock. That's the foundation. You could say that. But the point of this message is, this is how he concludes the Sermon on the Mount. Hey, you've heard it. Now you got to do it because if you hear it and you don't do it, you're building your life on sand. You're building your house on sand. But if you hear it and it's a decision only you can make, if you hear it and you do it, I will do that. Then you're going to build your house on a rock 
You'll be tested because the winds and the rain are going to come. Everybody else is going to flee and run. Oh, you're nuts and you're crazy. You're going to stand your ground. They're all watching. Most people are waiting for you to fail because everybody usually does, and, they, and you're not. And so there's something about you that if they have a problem, they're going to come to you because they've seen you stand your ground. Your testimony. You have faith in God that if I do what he said, he will secure me. Didn't he say that? Folks, this faith message I heard, it was the very beginning of my, of my life, my spiritual life. In 1968, heard it the first time. People started talking about it. It was just to me, at, right, right off the bat, it was so different from anything I'd ever heard in what I call church that I really wanted to understand it. To me, it was profound. I was scared of it. I wasn't sure about it. Well, I don't know who. To, I look around who I grew up with and where I live. Who in the world do I know, preachers or otherwise, that believe that verse? Who believes that? Who? Who in this world believes Matthew seven twenty four? If any man hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man that'll stand. He'll never fail. He will never fail. Put me in that bunch. Wouldn't you like to be in there? It's a choice. It's a choice of what you do because faith is always an act. It's something you do based on what you believe. Go two books over to Luke chapter 5. The story in Luke chapter 5, they've been fishing all night, and Peter and his, his friends, and they've toiled all night. In the first four verses there, they've toiled all night. They haven't caught anything. And Jesus said to them, this is the word of God, push out there where it's deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, being fishermen, Peter was by trade a fisherman. That's the way he made his living, and he knew the waters, and he knew the times and the movements and probably whatever wise fishermen know. And he'd been out there all night long. They didn't catch anything. So they come on the shore. They're on the shore there, it says, mending their nets, putting their nets back to order, dragging them over rocks. They break them. And so they're mending their nets, and the Lord comes. They're probably tired, been up all night long. They're weary. They're maybe a little bit touchy. If you've been up all night long, you hadn't done any good, and your nets were broken to boot, and somebody came along and said, go, uh, go out there in a little bit out of the water and throw your net down, would you have said, what are you talking about? What? But see, being Jesus, put your nest out there and drop it down, and you'll catch a whole bunch. Remember what Peter said, verse 5? He said, Lord, we have toiled all night. We haven't caught anything. At the end of that verse, he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, at thy word, what will he do? He'll lay down his net. Do you suppose... Listen to me. Do you think when Peter was letting down his net, he was going to need some help getting it back up? I don't know if he did or not. He might have. What he did do, though, was what the Lord said. He couldn't make fish get in his net. That was God's business. All he had to do was do what God said. The fish part and the net part and the full part, that's he can't make that happen. God has to make that happen. All you have to do is drop your net. Who had the easy part? Peter. 
And God didn't have any problem making all them big fish in the Sea of Galilee. We were there last year. It didn't, wasn't any problem getting fish up in that net. I mean, you know the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. And as somebody said in the Kentucky version of the Bible, all the maters and taters belong to God too. How about all the fish in the sea? The big ones and the little ones belong to God. And God can speak a word, snap his finger, have a divine moment with living things. And he can cause the earth to open up, the clouds to come, or fish to get in a man's net. Because a man was willing to take God at his word and act like what God said was true, even though there was overwhelming evidence in his mind that this can't be. But he did it. He wasn't saying, I'm from a net out there in the deep. I ain't no fish out there. I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm going to be made a fool. Everybody around here, the fish is going to think I'm a fool. I ain't no fish out there, but I ain't going to disagree with him. You know, anybody can raise the dead. I ain't messing with him. He went out there and put his net, and they went out there. What are we doing, Peter? We're going to put our net in the water. Ain't no fish here. It's my boat. Let's put the net in the water. They dropped the net down. All of a sudden, it wiggled and jiggled. Bubbles came up, and water started doing like it there. They said, pull it up, pull it up. And they pulled up the net, and the fish were so many of them there, they had to have help. Big fish. Peter said, I knew it was going to work. Like you would say, ah, oh, yeah, I knew that would work. How many times did we have to act like we're healed when it doesn't look like we are? Most people won't, knowing the kind of stuff you're going to get back from other people. I'm having a fever one time, chilling, chilling. I don't mean calming down. I mean chilling as being hot and <laughs> Like this here. So, you know, the thing to do there is put some clothes on. I laid on the bed and put stuff all over me. I'm laying there trying to get warm. And you know what my, my mate said? My mate, my, my, my wife comes in and sees what I'm going through. And in her meanness, she said, looks to me like you could fight your fight a whole lot better if you'd stand up on your feet. And, we, and she was gone. The words came to my mind. You don't usually lay around in a 90-degree day with clothes on like this. Looks like to me you're acting like you're sick. Well, uh, 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 oh, woman. And so you get out of, you get out of bed and you go, and it goes away after a while. And let me, let me tell you something. As I look back all these years, a lot of those things that went away have never come back. I can't verify everything, but I said a lot of those things that you wrestled with and you fought with and overcame, they haven't come back. Because there's such a thing in the Bible called, I wish above all things that you may prosper and health. I would rather live in health than have healing every now and then, wouldn't you? I would rather live as though the devil can't touch my body. I would rather live as though God has put a hedge about me as he did Job, and the devil can't touch him. He, the devil has said, I can't touch him. Give me that. Give me some of that for me and my family. Let me live whatever it takes, whatever 
whatever you got to do to qualify, let me have that because I do want that testimony. I want to be well. I want to prosper and be in health. It doesn't take much for me and her to prosper. I mean, we have more than enough now. I'm not trying to get more, don't need more. I enjoy what I've been given. I enjoy what I've got. And God takes care of me, takes care of us. We're living a life that is over my head. <laughs> I mean, I never thought it'd ever be like this. Just the fact I'm talking about being content. Just content. What I've got, thank you, Jesus. And if he gives a whole bunch more, and every now and then he does. Every now and then you go to the post office box and there's something in there and, and all you can do is go, I did it the other day. I don't get all excited. I put it in the church. <laughs> but you know what? There's just things that you are willing to do at some point in your life to prove you meant what you said. And it's God's delight to give you what he said he would. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And what was the kingdom? He said, go out and preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick and raise the dead and this and that. I want that. Kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Do you have that? You can. You absolutely can have that. It's the way it should be. You see, actions demonstrate faith. You can, we won't take the time to do it, but you can read Hebrews 11, which is called the heroes of the faith. And you read about what Noah did, what Moses did. Jericho, what a wonderful picture of faith that is. March around the city. You know the story. What if they just said, you know what, I'm going to write a song about Jericho. I'm going to write a song because, see, I believe God. I believe God that, you know, if we march around Jericho, the walls will fall down flat. Well, there's Jericho. Let's march. Uh, well, well, listen, um, I'd rather sing about it. Somebody sent me an article one time that said a man was over Niagara Falls on a high wire, had a wheelbarrow. And some, I don't know how they did this, because I've seen Niagara Falls. I've been right there and looked at it. But they stretched a wire across that place. It'd be tough to do this. And they walk across, hold a big thing like I tell you, you know, they walk across Niagara Falls. Well, this guy had a wheelbarrow. And he went across that thing on a wheelbarrow. Crowds gathered, whoa. So he got on the other side, and they filled it full of rocks. He turned around and bought that wheelbarrow full of rocks over there, and he got on the other side, and they all cheered. He said, how many of you believe I could do that again? And they, oh, I said, how many of you believe I could take a man across here? Oh, amen, brother. He said, well, jump in. I don't know about that. Isn't it easy to sing about it and talk about it and worship about it and all these things about it? And yet when it comes down to getting up in the morning and putting it together and living it, it's just a little bit something in you keeps talking you out of it. Oh, you're not a bad person. Not saying, It's just something that restrains us. Something we just can't put our finger on. But I think it's, I think it's fear. Because what if I do this and it doesn't work? The blind man comes to Jesus in John 9. He said, 
Sir, he said, what do you want? He said, I want to be healed. So he spat on the ground, made some clay, stuck it in his eyes. He didn't do that before. Why did he do it this way? He can do it any way he wants to. You can't make God have to do it the same way every time. He's made that clay. And you couldn't say, yuck. Blind man couldn't see it anyway. So he put that clay in his eyes. And then you know what he told him to do? Go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. Now, I've been there too. And and where it is, uh, the picture I had in the Bible of where it actually is just doesn't compute because it's down there. And a blind man had to find his way into those stones and those rocky. You know, they didn't have a lot of regard for blind people over there in the days of Jesus. Remember Bartimaeus? Have mercy on me, son of David. Hush. He just yelled out louder. And a blind man in obedience to what the word of God, he wasn't healed when he put this clay in his eyes. He couldn't see. He couldn't see. He still had that clay in his eyes, but what else did he have? He had a word. And he, that word was more than just what somebody said. It was spoken by Jesus whom he had never seen. He had no visual of Jesus, but he heard his voice and something connected in his heart. This will work. This will work. And he spat on the ground and made that clay, and everybody washed him. He said, now go wash your eyes in a pool of sorrow. And he said, man, that's a pretty good piece from here. You want to be healed? That's the way it's going to work for you. Well, ain't what you did with so-and-so, but it's what I did to you. So he did. And the Bible said he went, and it simply says he washed, and it says he came seeing. Let me ask you a question. Would he have ever had his eyes healed if he had not have gone and washed in that pool way down yonder? Well, couldn't Jesus heal him? He did. He said, go and wash. Is there power in that? But all it needs is your action. And if he had gone and done that, then that's exactly what would have happened. He would have gone and washed, and he would have come hearing. You act your faith. Smith Wigglesworth said many years ago, a man without a stomach went to a healing meeting in some big campaign back in, in that time of last century when that was what God was doing everywhere. And he went to the big healing campaign with a sack lunch. He didn't have a stomach, very sick and dying. So he packed him a lunch. Folks said, what are you going to do with that? He said, I'm going to eat it. Well, you can't eat, you don't have a stomach. He said, I'm going to eat this. He went to the healing meeting with his lunch. What was he going to do with that lunch? How can you eat it without a stomach? I believe I'm going to get a new one. I'm going to act like... I'm going to be healed before I'm ever healed. I'm going to act like what I'm believing is going to come to pass and there's no evidence. I still, I'm still sick. I still feel bad. I look bad, sound bad, but I believe. My friend years ago when full-size vans were the craze and you know, we all had 90 kids apiece. And, of course, the only real van was a Ford van. You all know that. I mean, the, the Ford van that we, he and I had, had the, the engine cover was in the middle of the front there. And you had to buy a little tray. And you could buy these little wooden trays with cup holders. And you could be real decorative however you wanted to have them made or whatever you wanted to do. Put little cassette slots in there for your cassette player. Some of you don't even know what a cassette player is. It, pff, times are changing. 
And one day I was with him in a, in a store, like a hardware store, and he saw one of those trays made for a Ford van. He went over and he bought one. I said, what are you going to do with that? He said, I'm going to put it in my van. I said, you don't even have one. He looked at me and he said, what do you believe? He said, I'm going to have one. I've claimed one. All right. So he took it home, set it at home, and what, a month or two later, he put it in his van. Now you sit here and say, I don't know if I believe that. He's, it worked for him. It doesn't work for doubters. Listen, he watches over this word to perform it. If he has said it, didn't we start there today? If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. Years ago, let me give you another story. See, I've lived long enough now, I've got my own. I used to have to tell the stories of others I read about. Now I can tell my own. I went down to Barberville, Kentucky. I'll drive past her tomorrow going to Knoxville, down near Corbin. I was invited to go to Barberville, Kentucky at a, at a Pentecostal church. It's back, in the, back a little bit off the road. Now, yeah, I'll do that. I'll go down there. And, and the preacher was very joyful and exuberant. And it was hot in the summer. And, and uh, my quarters were in the basement of the church. And it was a rock basement. It was kind of sticky down there and no, no air ahead of fan. We made our hellos and how are yous and nice to see you. God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to have a good meal. Amen. So he said, by the way, brother, he said, Monday morning, he said, we, I got a radio broadcast. I want you to come preach. I didn't have enough sermons to say but one week anywhere. And he wanted me to come and preach on his radio station. Now, I stutter so bad that it's hard for me to put a sentence together without stuttering. I mean, and you think, is he going to spit, sing, or what's he going to do? You know, I started to say, oh, no, 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 no. You see, I, 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 I can't get on the radio because I'll stutter. And, and, you know, that came to my mind to get out of it. And then I remembered what I said, or I heard something like that would say, what do you believe? What do you believe about stuttering? Well, I sure don't want to. Well, that's obvious. You don't want to. Who would? Anybody who wants to stutter ought to have deliverance. But you do. What do you believe? You believe you're going to stay like this? Do you believe I'm going to heal it or deliver you from this? Well, I believe you're going to deliver me from it once you act like it. You mean go on a radio program? You know, these are just the thoughts in my mind. So he said, how about it, brother? Will you do it? I said, okay. I'd be glad to. So we went to the broadcast station down there in Barberville on a Monday morning. It was hot. The doors were open. The preacher in the, in the little room, the glass window in the little room with one little desk and a microphone and where you can lay your Bible. And the preacher in there was preaching. I mean, he was wearing that mic out. I mean, he was running stuff together, and I thought, man, I can't preach like that. That guy's way past me. Wow. Because, see, I, I'm more of the teaching, inclined to teach, and these other guys were gifted in preaching. Well, I wasn't. Man, he was on that mic, and I mean, he was <laughs> and he was doing it, giving it that. And I thought, oh, brother. So uh, that guy was the preacher standing there with the preacher. He said, man, that's good preaching, isn't it? And I said, mm-hmm, Yeah. And he said, boy, you're going to do good today. And, oh, God. So I remember I went in there next. We met him. A commercial was on, and I sat down. He said, now, the guy behind the window, when he points his finger at you, it's live. Mike is hot. And one of the things about stuttering, 
is when you know you're about to speak, you know you can't. Uh, and now you can sing. Yeah, I could sing my sermon and I never would stutter. But then they wouldn't invite you back. But I remember, I remember to this day sitting there and that mic in front of me and, and that guy, you know, behind the window there, he went, and I, and he looked at me like, <laughs> I was trying to say, good morning, America, or something like that. Hallelujah. And I, I, I and it, I was hung up for about two seconds. That was enough to make the whole studio nervous. What's going on? What's the matter? Who is that? Who's in there? Uh, uh, was he going to sing? Is he going to... Uh, I finally said, hallelujah. Uh, it's good to be, uh, be in this room today. I couldn't say be. It's good to be... Uh, good in, I'm glad to be here or something like that. And uh, it's good to see all of y'all or hear you all. Uh, that ain't what you're saying. And I mean, going through that and then getting tense, start sweating. Oh, God. And then I started giving my testimony. And then I got mad. I said, this is not right for the devil to do me like this and me to have to live like this. This ain't right. This, excuse me, this isn't right. And so I kind of got a little angry, which sometimes what you have to do when you're dealing with the devil. You have to flare up a little bit. And so I flared up a little bit. And, Glory to God, I want to, and, and I, you know, and, I got through my half hour and it had to stop me. I said, finish it tomorrow. But I'll never forget my trip to Barberville. I started out the first night in this church. You talk, I was preaching on faith, teaching these people about faith. And the guy sat behind me in the church. I, never, I wasn't used to that any, not any. They've lined up back there, the, all the brothers. And I'm teaching about like I'm doing now. And they say, come on, brother. I'm thinking, man, this is the best I know how to do. And I'd say some more things. I said, now, let me explain to you something. Come on, brother. And I finally turned. I said, man, I am trying. <laughs> I am trying. And on the last night, on Sunday night, when my last meeting, I was shouting, and they were quiet. You know, I would, I would go to shout, and they'd say, and then they became like me, and I became like them. We just swapped. But the point of it is, there's a lot of things the devil would love to do to stop any of you or all of you here from doing the things you're afraid to do. When I was a basketball coach, I wrote on the board once in the, in the dressing room, do the thing you fear the most, and the death of fear is certain. And the will to win is not nearly as important as the will to prepare to win. And so you begin to arm yourself with things that, you know what, I can do this. I'm going to do this. He said, I'm healed. I can, I can live this, this way. I read about Noah and Jonah and Jericho, and, and I read about David and, and Goliath, and I read about this and about that. And I realize that all these things are written for my learning. You hear me? These things are written in Romans 15, verse 4, for our learning. This is supposed to make application to my life. I'm not supposed to sit here and say, well, I heard a, another faith message. It's life. It's supposed to have some effect upon all of us. That when you hear the word, it's supposed to stimulate something inside of your saved heart that makes you aware of either you are or you ain't doing it. But it's got to do something here. That's why people preach the word. 
Now, let me close to say this. The danger in acting your faith is, when, is acting your faith when you don't have faith. Years ago in Lexington, Kentucky, had a Bible study down there teaching faith. I always do. Everywhere I go. Without it, people can't please God, so let's go there. So one guy had been there long enough. His name was Leon. Now, Leon was a front row fireball. Amen. Praise God. And, and boy, he was in it. And he got so inspired that weekend, he went out and wrote checks for all of his bills. So I believe God in the name of Jesus, all that money will be in the bank when those checks come due. And you know the story. The, the weekend came and all, every check had rubber on it. They bounced. His family was embarrassed. He was called into the banker and said, what's, what's all this supposed to mean? I knew a young lady years ago here did the same thing. Her daddy called. What's going on over there? Sometimes you want it to be true without it really being in your heart, or it's not God's timing. See, one thing you've got to always realize with faith, and we'll close with this. When you have faith in God, it's always in your heart. Your head can dream a lot of things to do and a lot of things to say, but your heart can only confirm the word of God. That's the only thing God will do. That's all you can count on God to do. But you've got to believe it in your heart. Romans 10, 9 says, with the heart... Man believes. Now, you can have good things with your mind, but it doesn't work. It's got to be in your heart because this is what God sees. This is what God looks at. You can throw your pills away. You can throw your glasses away. You can throw anything you got away without really believing. I saw a guy on a stage once throw his glasses away, and everybody just cheered, and he stomped them. And about two or three days later at the end of this camp meeting, he was up there trying to find them. Because he realized he couldn't see where he was going. He couldn't operate. He couldn't even go back to work. He couldn't see. But he thought he believed until he realized he couldn't see and God hadn't manifested his eyes. And I would tell him, I tell you, tell anybody who's listening or watching. If you're believing God for something, whether it's a physical thing, diabetes or a heart problem or some kind of another problem, and you're taking medicine for it. Obviously, God, there's nothing too hard for God. He can heal any of that. But I don't know that everybody who hears this the first time or two or who is halfway trying to live this way can just throw that stuff away and walk this way. But you got to believe. How about the person in the wheelchair who can't get up? Can they believe? Can they? Well, why don't they stand up? Because God has to do that. Doesn't he? God has to bring the fish. God has to do the healing, doesn't he? Well, what can they do from our side? We can confess and act. One of the greatest teachers that, that, that I'll ever know had polio and walked like he had polio and limped, had special shoes because he couldn't walk without them. Had shoes in his suit, in his trunk that he said, whenever God manifests my healing, this is what I'm putting on. I'm going to wear these shoes. Now, in the meantime, he had to wear the ones he wore if he wanted to walk. You understand? Well, that's true with a lot of people in their glasses and maybe other things, crutches or wheelchairs. You know, I can't see to function or drive without glasses. Now, I have to wear them in order to make a living and do this or that or keep them running over your children. But... I'm confessing, and I'm, and, and I'm asking God to heal me, and I'm going to believe he is. 
And when he does, I, I won't wear these ever again. There's a fine line in here of what people question and what people approve of what they don't. But all I'm saying is faith is a matter of heart. Remember Romans, the end of the 14th chapter of Romans, he said, hast thou faith? Remember that? Let me close with it. Let me close with Romans 14 and verse 23, and then this will be it. Romans 14 and verse 23. He said, hast thou faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is a man that condemneth not himself in that which he allows. How many of you then believe that your faith is an individual function between you and God? That it's not based on what you think or what you would do, but it's how I understand and how I relate to God. You're not my judge. He's my judge. I shouldn't judge you either because that's what this whole chapter is about. Hast thou faith tonight? Know what you believe and have it where you are. And if you think, well, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to die, and that's where you are, then do what you got to do. Everybody's got to walk his own or her own walk. Some of my best friends and will always will be people I admire as much as anybody I know have had some difficult times in their life. It doesn't make them inferior. It just means that they came to a time in their life and it was more than they thought it was or it was bigger than they thought it was or whatever. But each of us, you put your hand on that plow, you got to leave it there. Amen. Amen. Amen.